Hello, welcome to the Transit Matters podcast in partnership with the Commonwealth Podcast. My name is Jim Aloisi. I'm your host today. I'm a board member of Transit Matters. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the MBTA's PERC program. So today we have with us Stacy Thompson uh, from the Livable Streets Alliance and Chris Dempsey from T for Mass. Um, they are uh, well-known uh, leaders in the advocacy community in the greater Boston area for sustainable mobility. And we're here to talk about a couple of things. The first thing we're going to talk about today uh, is the exciting news that came out of the issuance of the report of the Governor's Commission on the Future of Transportation. Uh, that report was issued. I think it was received well by a lot of people, particularly in the sustainable mobility advocacy community. Um, and uh, we now are looking forward to a new year where uh, we'll be able to think about how to take the ideas, the suggestions, the recommendations of the commission and uh, bring them to life. And the governor has already begun talking about uh, some approaches to uh, looking at fossil fuels as a way to, to raise some revenue and get some things done in Massachusetts. So let me, uh, let's begin the conversation. I'm going to turn to Stacy and sort of say, we know what the report has said. We know what uh, the governor has said. He's used some words that have made people very happy about moving people and not cars and not vehicles. Uh, from your perspective, uh, what's the opportunity here and then what are the challenges? Sure. Thanks, Jim, and Happy New Year. Um, I think that there are several opportunities coming out of this report. First, we should be excited that the report came through with a robust 18 recommendations, and at the top of that list was investing in our transit system. I think that that um, is is an incredible sort of top-line place to be in. In the governor's own remarks, he spoke to the value not just of our commuter rail system, uh, RT, but also buses, and pointed to the success of the recent BRT pilots throughout the region. So I think uh, we have a good momentum going into 2019 to seriously look at investing more in our, our transit system. I also think it's important to note um, the reference to moving people instead of vehicles. That is a major shift. And I think that there are many other tidbits folks can pick up and, and sort of use as a mandate to work with the governor and his administration moving forward. Chris, uh, the governor's announcement this week that Massachusetts is signing on with a bunch of other states in the region to look at um, basically a, a regional greenhouse gas initiative for transportation must have uh, made you very happy because you've been really leading the effort. Uh, in Massachusetts for quite some time. Talk a little bit about the importance of this, uh, what it means for Massachusetts, the opportunity that it creates for um, renewed investment in sustainable mobility. Jim, I think this is a really big deal, and we were very encouraged by the governor's decision to join these eight other states and Washington, D.C. together in this regional conversation and hopefully regional agreement. Many of your listeners know that transportation is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the Commonwealth. It's the fastest growing source, represents over 40% of our emissions, and that means that there's more pollution coming out of our tailpipes than coming out of our power plants. What Reggie for Transportation, or TCI, would do is cap the emissions from transportation across those states and generate resources to be invested in cleaner transportation options for people. And I think we need to have a really robust conversation in 2019 about what that means. 
it definitely means expanded transit options, both in places that have transit today and places that don't have transit today. It probably means investments in cleaner vehicles, subsidies and rebates for electric vehicles or for uh, low carbon, high efficiency trucks. Um, it probably means investment in resiliency as our climate is changing and we need to invest in road and bridge infrastructure that is susceptible to flooding uh, or to, to coastal sea level rise. And I think um, we're not always going to agree on all of the pieces that deserve the, the most uh, investment or the most benefit from this program. But if we can have that conversation and find some common ground, this is a really unique opportunity to pivot and to move towards that cleaner, more sustainable system while investing in our own economies. Stacey, do you want to jump in on the... Yeah, I would just say that this, uh, while it can seem a little wonky, I think it's a, a really massive opportunity for Massachusetts to lead. And what is beneficial is that Reggie, um, the sort of 1.0 version of this, which focused on the energy sector, was a bipartisan regional solution that measurably reduced GHG emissions and was a market-based solution. So we're moving... Uh, into this TCI discussion with a really great example of something that was extremely effective. And now we have an opportunity to build on it. And I would say some of the criticisms of Reggie included um, sort of a, a lack of an equity lens. And I think what's powerful about the coalition that's building around TCI is that there are folks across the state, um, individuals who are thinking about people in low-income communities, communities of color, um, thinking about how to ensure that we are uh, prioritizing the potential and investment, transit investments, et cetera, for those communities. So I'm very excited about this the coming year and these discussions. Do we think that we need legislative action in terms of how the money is spent and that will be part of what happens in 2019? And it'll take several months before this actually can be sort of organized and structured. So the revenue I'm expecting is more, we think, 2020 revenue than 2019 revenue? Yeah, look, I think the governor is being a real leader here, and he deserves applause, but we expect the legislature will be right there with him. And the details are to be worked out, but we know that there's support in both the Senate and in the House to really look at these issues and try to make some progress on them. And that sometimes come in fits and, come in fits and starts, and it's been um, a little inconsistent. But we really believe that there is some broad support across Massachusetts and across, again, the Senate and the House for taking some action here. Now, whether we actually need legislation in 2019 um, is, is still a little bit of an open question. We're very hopeful that we're going to be able to show support for it and show that bipartisan support, as Stacy mentioned. What the lawyers will tell you is that we may not actually need legislation to move ahead with the TCI process, but it's probably helpful for the political process mm -hmm. to, un to make sure that we're all sort of on board with this. We all agree that we're moving in the right direction. And then as the details of TCI are worked out in 2019 to sort of ratify those details in legislation, either in 2019 or maybe in 2020. I think the issue is not so much needing legislative approval for the governor to sign off on the compact. I think the question is, is there, do you need a legislature to, to lockbox the money so that it's spent in certain ways? And maybe we'll have that conversation. Chris, do you have a sense... What are people saying, uh, say, in calendar year 2020, the expectations are for total net new revenue coming off of this? So if you use the commission's report as the kind of bookends here, they cite the Reggie price per ton of carbon and the California price per ton of carbon. That's $5 a ton or $15 a ton. 
What that generates in terms of revenue for the Commonwealth is somewhere between $150 million per year and call it $450 or $500 million per year. So that's a pretty decent sized number um, relative to some some of the options we sometimes talk about mm-hmm. for revenue. It's certainly smaller than some other options. Yeah. And I don't think anyone feels like it's going to overnight uh, transform our transportation system into one that is perfectly in good repair and no, has among, all the options. Among the three of us, we've probably mentally spent that money six times. Right? C- correct. And so what you're getting at there, Jim, is we need to be smart about the choices. Mm-hmm. If, if, that, if those resources are going to exist, how do we get the biggest bang for our buck from a climate perspective, an environmental perspective, a health, public health perspective, um, but then uh, most importantly, probably from a mobility perspective to make sure that we are making it easier for people to get around, giving them more options and doing that in a fair and equitable way, as Stacy mentioned. Stacy, I want to pivot back to the Governor's Commission on Translation Future, which was very high on bus. Mm-hmm. And um, he, the governor himself spoke about he, him becoming more uh, interested in and attuned to bus transit. Livable streets, you, you folks have been part of the leadership that is making better bus happen in the region. Talk a little bit about what you see uh, coming from this vision. Now that, you know, a lot of people, um, Livable Streets, Bar Foundation, uh, certainly leadership in Everett and Arlington, Boston, Cambridge, have made some interesting pilots happen. Where do we go from here now that we have the presumably stronger support from the governor and the platform of the commission behind us? Sure. I think that this is definitely a turning point. Uh, You know, for the past five or six years, there have been a handful of really strong advocates really excited about the potential of buses. And in the past year, 2018, we, you know, you can't deny that the pilots that were happening in Everett, Arlington, Watertown, in Cambridge were hugely successful. We're talking about um, feedback uh, and sort of thumbs ups of of more than 90% of the people who use and experience these. I often say, how many things do politicians move through that have a 90% approval rating? You know, we've we've proven the concept with some low-hanging fruit. I would say by the the sort of strong inclusion of buses in the commission's report and the the governor nodding to the importance of buses, we're ready to move forward with uh, sort of the next level of bus prioritization implementation. Right now, all of the pilots have focused on AM peak, you know, two hours in the morning when businesses are closed. And what we would like to see are some really serious bus priority projects in 2019 that take on a full corridor and that uh, maintain priority from the first bus run to the last bus run. You know, that's when we'll leapfrog and and see real measurable changes in the region. I think one of the, you know, the the report talked about bus. It also talked about electric vehicle technology and the, the sort of hopefully imminent proliferation of electric vehicle charging stations and um, subsidies or some incentives for people to, to continue to buy them. Uh, both the topic of dedicated bus lane or and or BRT, bus rapid transit, and electric vehicle infrastructure speak to an issue which I think is challenging and people don't think a lot about, which is we're, we they have to fit into a legacy infrastructure. It's not always easy to change that legacy infrastructure. And you're sort of stuck with what you have unless you want to go to greater expense to make major alterations. How are people thinking about this from a planning perspective and just from a deployment perspective and in terms of dealing with the greater Boston, Metro Boston infrastructure and accommodating it to these new approaches to mobility? 
You know, we often um, kind of complain or whine in Greater Boston about how we have these old cow paths. Who and complains? <laughs> who, who whines? <laughs> and, you know, our roads are crooked and they're narrow. And because of that, we're never going to have a transportation system that works for us. And I think actually very much the opposite is true. Um, I, I think Greater Boston's urban form and urban, urban pattern is really the envy of communities around the country and around the world that like walkable communities, bikeable communities, distances are relatively short compared to other trips you may need to make in other parts of the country. Um, if, if you think about what cities want to be, they actually look more like old Boston than they do like a, um, you know, a city in the Midwest or the West that, that's younger. Um, and so our challenge is, is that we actually have good bones and we just need to take advantage of those bones by being smarter about how we can move people efficiently. And that's why it's so encouraging to hear the governor talk about this. Stacy mentioned this, and, and you mentioned this, Jim, moving people, not moving vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can get better at doing that in the limited space that we do have, we really will be the envy of the world, not just for those bones that we have, but for the policies that we're choosing today. Yeah, and I would add, so I totally agree. I often say, you know, there's this assumption that nothing has changed. The orange line is about as old as I am. To assume that we don't uh, don't frequently and often make transformative changes on our streets and in our public spaces is just silly and doesn't recognize the history that we live in. But separately, I think that the challenge, uh, particularly for implementing um, bus priority, but also some of the EV infrastructure is who leads on what? Is the state going to provide guidance mechanisms, financial incentives for municipalities? Will municipalities need to really take the lead on how they're going to deploy this? How does the development community plug in, particularly around some of the EV technology? So to me, the devil is in the details. Mm -hmm. And what I would like to see is a lot of great conversation and, and clear infrastructure so that we can provide the appropriate incentives and signals to move those big projects forward. One of the issues that people are going to confront in 2019 is going to be um, thinking about how the MBTA is governed after the Fiscal Management and Control Board sunsets in June of 2020. Uh, As we begin 2019, there's some discussion that people are even thinking about accelerating uh, that date to a date this year. Um, Personally uncertain about the wisdom of that, but we'll see how the conversations go about. But... My larger point is there are some really good overarching themes in the governor's commission report, really exciting opportunities through Reggie and the ability to generate net new revenue. We're doing all of this in a time of governance transition. And uh, I'd like to get Chris and Stacey, both of you, thinking about how you see those things intersecting. Am I over-worrying it? Because I do see that as a little bit problematic, uh, having perhaps some instability in governance structure of the transit agency as we are adopting some of these uh, new approaches? Um, How do we square this in a way that would be, as advocates in particular, how can we be helpful to the process to make sure that we're being mindful of these changes and being supportive and also creative in thinking about what the right answers are on the governance side? Sure. The first thing we should say, I think for any conversation on the FMCB, is how good a job the FMCB has done and how grateful any of us that ride the system every day should be to the volunteer leaders who have led the FMCB um, and and been invested. is aligned in thinking that this has become really a success point. And and I think the three of us around the table were all skeptical of that when it was proposed uh, a few years ago. Uh, In fact, we've all come around and said, you know what, this makes sense. And it's because of the monumental effort that those volunteers have have Mm -hmm. put in. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
Time is money. Commuting can be a pain. Save time and money and make your commute a little easier with Perk, the new transit pass program from the T. With Perk, you get a monthly pass that automatically renews and get savings on your taxes. Ask your employer how they can sign you up. For more info, go to perk.mbta.com. That's perk with a q.mbta.com. We're back with Chris Dempsey, Stacey Thompson. Now, um, I'm sort of of two minds on this reform question. I think it's a very important one, and I think we want to try to get it right. But if it looks like we're not going to get it perfect, and we probably won't, it may be something where we say, let's get it pretty good. Let's let's sort of keep it keep it going, find the right, find a good framework, a good enough framework, but not spend too much time obsessing over the detail on it. And so let me just give you a, a more specific example. It may be, for example, that a, a regional governance structure actually makes the most sense because we have very much a regional transit system. It doesn't reach every community in the Commonwealth. It only reaches some. And so it should be more focused on those communities that it does reach. But that might be so hard a political lift to mm-hmm. sort of change that di- mobility dynamic from one that's really thought of statewide to one that's thought of regionally that we might say, you know what, we kind of have what we have. Let's make sure that we create a board, create some stability there, get some good people appointed, and not worry that we have it perfect. Stacey, you, of all people, really understand the importance of municipal mm-hmm. collaboration and participation. If we're moving in toward an era, and I think we think we are, of better bus, more dedicated lanes, more intensive use of bus transit creatively, if we're moving toward rolling out electric vehicle infrastructure, if we're thinking about where people are, how people are being displaced from the inner core because of housing costs to other cities and towns, and are we following their mobility needs? All of these issues require significant municipal not just buy-in, but a- activity. Mm-hmm. And, and so what are your thoughts on, in terms of governance, how we can make sure that cities and towns have the, the right amount of voice and say uh, in, in the mix? Yeah. So I think it's a, a tricky balance. If we focus specifically on the FMCB for a moment, there has been some discussion about sort of what does the next group of, of folks look like. Um, I think that there is a lot of value to having a small board that rolls up its sleeves and gets in the weeds and gets to work. That is a heck of a lot more efficient than a board that has 25 people and every municipality and every sort of perspective is included in it. I do think think that you know we need to have a municipal voice in a decision making role because they have a unique lens in the same way you know we would look at it in two sort of three ways we need those experts at the table who can run the board well we also need a voice that can speak for municipalities and i think we need a voice that can speak for the rider mm-hmm. and as an expert in experience and if we could add a couple of perspectives to round out what is a successful model i think we have a really strong model moving forward I wonder if the answer isn't in rethinking the advisory board, you know, that, that where you'd rethink it to empower the board and the municipalities a lot more than they're currently empowered. And you might also include some ridership component to it um, and then give it, give it some real skin in the game in terms of whether that's on the budget side or whether that uh, on the capital investment side, whatever. Um, and then have that what you say is sort of, sort of an agile, strong, committed governing board that also then has to respond 
a little bit more than they do now, candidly, to an advisory board that is the larger voice of municipal and rider concerns. Just one way to think about it. Chris? So, so Jim, sort of touching on that a little bit, we did a trip out to Seattle in September of 2017, and we met with folks from the Seattle City DOT who felt like it was their responsibility to keep buses running. Even though the buses weren't run by the city, they were run by the county. Mm-hmm. And I think there, in, in greater Boston, there is too much conflict, or, or not even conflict, it's almost as, it's, as if it's indifference between the cities and towns and the MBTA running the service. And I think the city of Boston is getting better at that um, with the investments they're making in staff. Obviously, the city of Everett, city of Cambridge, and Watertown are good examples. You know, I'm in, I'm in Brookline. I'm the chair of the Brookline Transportation Board. We very rarely people have, have people come before us and testify that they want their buses to move faster. You know, what we get is we get public comment on parking mm-hmm. and parking meter rates and maybe, maybe bike lanes sometimes, but very rarely on bus lanes. And, and so that, that tie is very weak right now. Mm-hmm. And if we can find ways to strengthen it, to get the municipalities to feel that it is their responsibility to make their streets work better, especially for buses that the MBTA is running, then we'll really have d- done a good thing for mobility. So we're here at the beginning of 2019. We've been talking about the exciting developments of the end of the last year, the governor's announcement on, on Reggie and the governor's Transition Future Commission report. I'd like to talk a little bit about this year, and we have begun that with the governance conversation, but what do we see as the sort of critical issues that we know people will be needing to confront in 2019? Um, what are our thoughts on that? What, are peop- what should people be expecting? What should the advocacy community be looking to roll up their sleeves on? Do you have a st- startup, Stacey? Sure. I have a top three. Uh, I would say for sure buses. 2018 was the year of the bus. 2019 needs to be the year of the bus. 2020 should be the year of the bus. <coughs> buses. Uh, secondarily, I don't think we should forget that the automated fare collection um, AFC 2.0 system is going to really kick into high gear. And there are going to be a lot of questions, a lot of public engagements that include enforcement, <coughs> fare policy. And that's going to, I think, bring to the surface some of these qu- these service questions that we talk about through the lens of AFC 2.0. And third, as something that wasn't really covered in the commission's report but continues to be a priority statewide is the um, sort of bucket of safety issues. Uh, You know, hundreds of people die on our roads. There are several pieces of legislation that will likely be making their way through um, the statehouse, including uh, legislation around automated enforcement, the hands-free bill, truck guards, um, in addition to several other sort of municipal and statewide efforts to reduce um, crashes. So that is deeply important work to also make people, you know, change mode, feel comfortable, um, and is intimately tied to some of the issues we discussed earlier today. Chris. So I attended the press conference that the governor had on the release of the commission report in December, and Secretary Pollock spoke at that. And she cited two major issues for the future of transportation that I think are real issues today. They are emissions and the environmental impact of transportation and congestion as the two items. And I think in today's podcast, we've been focused a little bit more on the emissions problem. And I think Reggie for transportation and TCI, whatever you call it, is a, a really important and viable path forward on that. But we have to talk more about congestion. Um, in, it, it is agreed upon by, I think, everyone in eastern Massachusetts that we have a congestion crisis. Um, more and more, we are hearing from the business community that is it is their number one issue, that it is the thing that they want to tackle um, head on if they can find a way to do it. And we were incredibly encouraged by the commission recommending a pilot program for some sort of pricing or incentive program 
um, on our toll roads. That is a, a tool that communities around the country are using. In fact, of the top 10 metropolitan areas in the country, Greater Boston is the only one that does not do some sort of time of day pricing. So we're really kind of a parochial backwater when it comes to thinking about incentives for when, when and where to drive on our roads. That's not a great distinction. I think the INRIX data that I am aware of also says that on a per capita basis, we've got the worst congestion in the country. We spend a higher percentage of our trips in congestion than any other city in the country. And that includes Los Angeles listeners. <laughs> includes LA and New York and Chicago and everywhere else. So um, we have a lot of work to do in this area. And people here at T4Mass talk a lot about pricing and, and smarter tolling. I think that's a very important tool. It's not the only tool. We also need to look at things like bus lanes. We need to look at um, parking and how we manage parking. We need to look at giving people more and better options. If we can cobble together a few of those pieces and focus on some geographies that are particularly bad for congestion today and that have some hope for getting better when that toolbox is deployed in that geography, I think not only can we fix things there, but we can also create a replicable model that can then be brought to other roads or other regions or other pinch points where the congestion is really bad. Um, so that's a conversation that we're very much looking forward to in 2019. From my perspective, Transit Matters perspective, and my own perspective, uh, uh, clearly I think there's going to be a renewed uh, interest in the regional ballot initiative discussion at the State House. I have the sense that maybe it has a little energy behind it to get across the finish line. And I think that would really be a significant uh, addition to, to regional equity in Massachusetts. So I think people need to keep an eye on what we call RBIs. It's got nothing to do with baseball. It's regional ballot initiatives. A month from now, the Fiscal Management Control Board is going to be making a decision about whether the red to blue connector belongs as a short-term action item on Focus 40. For me, this is a matter of connectivity. It's not expansion. It's connecting and completing the, the, the subway system um, we're worried about the use of TNCs and traffic congestion in the urban core, and we're worried about access to key destinations like Mass General Hospital, Logan Airport, now Suffolk Downs, Kendall Square. Connecting blue to red for me, I think, is going to be a big issue over the next 30 days. Uh, the Regional Rail uh, Advisory Council is meeting and will finish its work toward the end of this year. I think that's an important milestone for anyone interested in inner city rail to be engaged in. Um, two more things real quick. I think the discussion of Alston Landing and West Station will become, uh, again, a, a significant discussion uh, point um, uh, in the region, both for what it means in Alston and Cambridge, but essentially what it means in Metro West and Worcester as a matter of how people are getting in and out of the city Finally, I think we're going to see some action, I hope, in 2019 to improve service on the Fairmont line. And I think, again, um, it's not more than an equity issue. It's an accessibility issue. And um, I see some energy around that. So uh, with that, uh, we'll conclude this podcast. I thank you, uh, Stacy and Chris, for joining me on the uh, first of hopefully uh, many interesting podcasts in 2019. Happy New Year to everybody, and thank you for joining me. Thanks, Jim.